You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. You know that expression, always stop and smell the roses? I grew up in the big city, the mean streets of Chicago's north side. Haven't lived in Chicago for two-plus decades, but I am still repping Rogers Park. And my version, my city mouse, not a lot of roses around version of always stop and smell the roses, goes like this. Always stop and read the dumpster graffiti. I don't live in Chicago anymore, but I am still reading dumpster graffiti. And walking home from work the other day through the mean green streets of Seattle, something scrawled on a dumpster with a silver ink pen caught my eye. Forced to wear diapers and girls' clothes for my wife's friends. All caps. Pop quiz, Savage Lovecast listeners. Is dumpster graffiti confessor guy bragging or complaining? Do, 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 do. All right, pencils down. If you answered neither, you were correct. Sorry, trick question. Our dumpster graffiti confessor guy isn't complaining, and he's most likely not bragging either. And although women can have wives these days, dumpster graffiti confessor guy almost certainly is a he. Anyway, I have two hunches. One, whoever wrote this was hard when he did. And two, there is no wife, there are no friends, but there might be diapers. Dumpster graffiti confessor guy is fantasizing, putting it out there, telling his erotic truth, sharing his secret desires with the world. He's into forced feminization and hashtag ABDL. That's adult baby diaper lover play. And maybe by putting it out there, by almost saying it out loud, some force at work in the universe will hear his inky prayers and come through for him and deliver to him the right partner. My second thought, good for you, dumpster graffiti confessor guy. Everyone wants to be known and wants to be seen. And that extends to our sexuality. Everyone wants to feel like their sexuality, including their kinks, are a valid and visible part of their identity, at least to some people. Each of us wants our sexual worth and our erotic truths to be acknowledged by someone who doesn't live in our head. So, hey, dumpster graffiti confessor guy, I see you, I acknowledge you, and I validate you. There is nothing wrong with being or wanting to be, quote-unquote, forced to wear diapers and women's clothing to entertain your wife's friends if that's what you want and that's what your wife wants and that's what her friends want. So here's hoping it happens for you and not just in your head when you're scrawling graffiti on a dumpster, but in your reality. And hey, that's what I'm putting out there to start this week's show. Sometimes I just want to wallow in something sweet and the good kind of dirty. But don't forget, November is coming. Register to vote. If you aren't already registered, register someone else to vote if you already are. Volunteer, donate. Complacency is complicity, kids. All right, coming up on today's show, on the micro-free edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum subscription edition of the Savage Lovecast, which you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com, twice as long and no ads, I convene a panel of local lesbian guest experts to tackle some calls about processing and other lesbian concerns. All coming up on today's show. Hey, Dan, I have kind of a dilemma. I work for a landscaping company in a small town, pretty liberal area, pretty liberal state, and uh, I have this coworker. He is from the South and is very conservative and uh, has a bit of a mouth on him. 
He's made some really offensive comments about gay people. He's made some pretty offensive comments about black people. At one point, he said he wanted to tie a chain around Obama's neck and drag him behind his truck. All stuff that makes me uh, uncomfortable. I've called him out here and there about it, and he kind of shrugs it off, plays it as a joke, tries to say, oh, well, I'm not really like that, even though all the evidence sort of points to the fact that he is definitely like that. And um, he has a drinking problem. He came into work once, uh, wasted, was definitely drinking during the day. Normally, this would be a fireable offense for most places, but where I work is kind of treating him with kid gloves as his wife recently died. Him and his wife moved here in November, and then she died three or four months later very suddenly of an aneurysm, and so nobody wants to fire this guy. And my question is, um, do I go to my bosses and tell them about some of the really offensive comments he's made, and not just about gay people or black people, but also about women, um, and some of his really offensive comments have been directed to me, and um, I don't fear for my safety. However, it makes me extremely uncomfortable, and I don't really want to work with this guy. I just, uh, I'm not so sure if I want to get him fired. You know, every every time I, I'll tell him, like, don't be fucking creepy. He tries to play it off as a joke. He'd be like, well, it's not really like that. Well, yes, you are. He is like that, apparently. But do I basically tattle on this guy and possibly get him fired? And, you know, we, we're a very small landscaping team. There's only three of us and the other person's a dude. So if I do complain and he's merely reprimanded and he is not fired, it will make everybody super uncomfortable because he's going to know exactly where that complaint comes from. And I have to sit, you know, six inches from him every day in a truck Monday through Friday. We've all seen the video. It's all over the internet, it's all over Twitter, it's all over the nightly news. The video of white people behaving abominably to people of color, calling the police on little black girls selling water on the street, on calling the police on people using the black people, using the pool attached to their own apartment complex that they have an absolute right to use. And we've seen in many of these instances the people who made these calls lose their jobs, the people who made African-Americans feel uncomfortable in their own communities and their own skin and sick to the police on them. And we should all know now that calling the police on an African-American is to put that African-American person's life in danger. Google Sandra Bland. That was just a traffic stop. Your coworker is one of those white people behaving abominably. Your coworker is also testing the boundaries, is testing the white people in his orbit, you and your other coworker, the three of you in that truck, to see what he can get away with. He is not joking when he says these things. He is pushing and prodding and testing. He is seeing how far he can take this shit, what he can get away with, what you are willing to tolerate and what your coworker is willing to tolerate, what your employer is willing to tolerate if they should find out about this. And it will embolden him and others like him. The test for white people right now, as so many other white people are out there behaving abominably, is to stand up to this shit that your coworker is beta testing with his white colleagues before he busts it out on some person of color on the street or on the bus or in a pool. So, no, go get him fucking fired. He and other people like him, racist 
sexist, homophobic pieces of shit need to know that there are limits. He needs to know that good and decent people are not going to sit there. Good and decent white people are not going to sit there with their thumbs in their asses doing nothing and hemming and hawing while he beta tests his bigotry to see what he can get away with. Time to stand up to this shit is now. The time to go to HR at your company if your company has HR and complain about him is now. And put it in fucking writing when you take it to them. And get this motherfucker fired. And if you detail everything this motherfucker is doing and he isn't fired and then you're required to sit three inches from him in that truck, make a public stink. Hey, Dan and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'm a gay, cisgendered male in my mid-20s living in the Intermountain region here for the summer. I met this wonderful guy here who I like and I really connect with. Let's just say he's coming on very strong. After only one week, mind you, we have hung out a lot during that week, he has basically offered to shift his entire life, i.e. move to wherever I go, after this program ends in order to be with me. I was wondering if you could speak to this behavior of moving extremely fast. Everything he says seems to be very truthful, poignant, and from the heart, he is not shy about saying how attracted he is to me. And yet his relentless, gushing honesty, almost to the point of worshiping me, feels like it's pushing me away emotionally and physically. We still haven't even taken off our pants, and I'm generally a very horny guy. Can this be rectified? Does it even need rectifying? And I'm just scared of being vulnerable. I feel weird about criticizing the way he expresses himself so openly. I just know I don't have these similar shape-shifting feelings after just one week, and I don't want to lead him on. I actually know people who did exactly what this guy is saying he would like to do, who moved across country after knowing someone for a very short amount of time, and it worked out, and they're still together, and they're very happy. However, this kind of coming on too strong, this kind of premature emotional commitment or attachment is also frequently the sign of something unhealthy or even potentially abusive. At the very least, if this guy moves across country to be with you, it may create in you some feeling of obligation that you have to take care of this guy, that you have to be with this guy because he turned his whole life upside down for you, whether you wanted him to or not. And suddenly you have this burden to come through for him, to love him the way he loves you, which sounds a little maniacal. Sounds a little bit like even if these feelings are genuine and he's not just trying to manipulate you, it sounds like a colossal display on his part of bad judgment, which is something we talk about on my show a lot. We look for in partners good judgment. And to tell someone after just a few days together without ever having taken your pants off that you love them enough to turn your life upside down, to move across the country, to be with them is a display of bad judgment because that will spook most people. Most people that you roll that out for are going to run the fuck away. And he should know that. And apparently he doesn't know that. And he doesn't know that because he has piss poor fucking judgment. You need to push back. You need to tell him that he's freaking you out, that he's spooking you, that you like him. You've liked him enough to spend this week together with him hanging out platonically for the most part. But you don't really know him and he doesn't really know you. For all he knows, you have a collection of dead Boy Scouts under your bed. For all you know, he has the same. And so if you want to continue to see each other, it will be long distance. Maybe you guys can meet up again a couple of times. You can continue to talk 
Skype, text with each other, and get to know each other better. There's lots of examples out there in the world, particularly this connected world now with the internet, where people did move across the country to be with someone that they met online. And it's worked out, and they're grateful and glad that they did. Usually it's not an impulse purchase, though. Usually you take your time. You do your due diligence. Dating is a discovery process. That process hasn't gone on long enough for you to know, for you to have discovered that he's someone that you would want to commit to in the way he wants to commit to you. Maybe he's right. Maybe you are the love of his life. Maybe he is the love of your life. If that's true now, that will be true a year from now. Tell him to slow his roll, to cool his jets. And if he reacts badly to you being a reasonable person demonstrating good judgment, yeah, then don't ever talk to him ever again. Hi, Dane. I've been dating a guy for over three years now. We live together. Um, I hadn't been feeling good in a relationship for about a year, but thought it was just because I was really stressed out with work. A little bit over a month ago, we got into a really bad fight when he was blacked out, drunk, after I got home from work, and it got really physical to the point that, uh, I don't know, I almost called the cops, but I didn't. And then I spent the whole next day with my best friend covered in bruises, and he didn't even remember. He just thought we got in a fight. Anyway, he's been living with his parents since in town, and he's definitely shown me that he's working on himself, that he's sorry and he's being very sweet to me, but he hasn't told anyone. None of his friends know. His parents don't know. None of them, I have a relationship with his friends and his parents, but no one has called me no one's contacted me it's just weird to me that I don't know he's still hiding it and that times I feel like he thinks that he didn't do anything wrong he's made a comment before that my hysteria in the moment caused him to do that he's not an angry person and this is definitely a first time like whoa I'm just confused I listened to another one of your podcasts and you're saying uh, that if a man is not getting help and leaving the relationship and He's probably manipulating the girl to make her feel bad for him. I just don't know what the best thing to do here is. In a circumstance like this, it's best to avoid the passive voice. You say, it got really physical. And then you describe yourself as traumatized and covered in bruises and hiding in a friend's house the next day. It didn't get really physical. Your boyfriend beat the shit out of you. You need to dump this motherfucker. On top of beating the shit out of you, he's not taking any responsibility. He's not creating in his life any accountability for himself by not telling his parents, by not telling your mutual friends what happened, what he did when he was drunk. And then on top of that, blaming you by saying that your hysteria in the moment caused him to do this, caused him to beat the shit out of you. That is all the evidence you need that he is not working on himself. He isn't telling anybody what he did, and when he talks to you about what he did, he blames you. This is a relationship extinction level event. He has revealed to you who he is. He has revealed to you who he will be in the future. He has told you explicitly that in moments of conflict, when you are quote-unquote hysterical, which is a totally sexist term that we usually try to avoid around here, but he has told you when you are incredibly upset, that he will revert to physical violence and it will be your fault. Yeah, no. It's over. 
dumped this motherfucker already. He needs to work on himself, which he can do single and solo. This event, this event, here I am using the passive voice. What he did needs to cost him this relationship so that he understands that somehow it gets through to him that behaving like this toward women or toward anyone is going to deprive him of things in his life that he would like to have in his life, potentially his freedom. You could have and still could call the cops. That might be in his best interest for you to report this, for you to involve the police. That's your call to make. And involving the police, involving the authorities can complicate shit. It can also put somebody in a situation where they are required to get the help that they need. And I don't think that this guy is getting the help that he needs. Hasn't told anyone, hasn't told his parents, hasn't told his friends, is blaming you for beating the shit out of you. And you don't mention him getting into counseling. You don't mention him talking to a therapist. You don't mention any proactive steps that would demonstrate that he is taking personal responsibility for what he did to you in that moment. And I got to say, long-ass, long-ass, long-ass term relationships, there will be many moments of conflict in a long-term relationship. Do you want to be with somebody for the long term, knowing that if you get upset that you risk getting the shit beat out of you by that asshole again? Do you want to, in a moment where you're very upset, have to police and edit yourself for fear of what he might do to you and then blame you for? No. No, you don't want that. You don't deserve that. One of the things we need in a long-term relationship, one of the things we need from someone that we love is the freedom in that relationship every once in a while, not constantly, not daily, not weekly, not monthly, not biannually, but once in a while to kind of have a meltdown, to kind of have a freak out and know that you're safe with that person, that you can be that raw, not vituperative, not an asshole, not emotionally abusive yourself, but that you can go to pieces in front of this person. And that they're not going to pound the shit out of those pieces. They're going to be there and love you through that and help you put those pieces back together as you will do for them when they go to pieces. You can't be with someone in a loving long-term relationship where you fear those moments when you go to pieces that they will point to that as an excuse to violate you, to abuse you, to beat you. He's not getting the help that he needs. He's hiding at his parents' house, lying to friends and family and gaslighting you by blaming you for this. This is a DTMFA situation. You need for your own safety. You need to dump this motherfucker already. And if you feel for him, if you still on some level love him, know that this is the best possible thing that you could do for him. Hey Dan, I'm a straight cisgendered male, West coast, age 25. I've been um, dating this one woman for three months now, and we've had intercourse a couple times. Oh, well, actually, uh, quite a few times. And I still haven't been able to manage to get her to orgasm. She can orgasm. She knows what it feels like. Uh, she's done it to herself uh, multiple times. And I've even asked her to see how she does it. And I've tried that on her. But she says that instead of being like a normal orgasm, it feels like she's going to pee. I thought that was maybe a sign that she may have been a squirter. 
but she ends up just like peeing really softly and she says she's get, getting no pleasure from it. Any tips and tricks? Maybe something to try? If you're going to suggest uh, some kind of toy, maybe leave a place to maybe find one. Uh, thank you very much. You've been dating this girl for three months. She is orgasmic. She can masturbate. She can make herself come. Ask her when she first started masturbating. Guys, young men, boys, start masturbating typically 12, 13, 14, and have been at it for years before they arrive at partnered intercourse. And they are experts on what it takes to get them off and what feels good and where those plateaus are and where the point of orgasmic inevitability is, where they're going to come no matter what happens next. If she's only been masturbating for a little while, if she's roughly your own age, it could be that she's still growing into her own orgasmic capacity and capability, in which case, re-fucking-lax. Even if she's been masturbating for 10 years, re-fucking-lax. You've only been dating this girl for three months. You're a new sex partner, and it may take her some time to feel comfortable enough with you to be fully present in the moment, to really release and let go, to give up the control that she has when she is pleasuring herself. Instead of making this about you and about your skills, make it about her and about her orgasms. She can come with you there when she pleasures herself in that particular way, when she uses the technique that she uses. Hold her while she masturbates. Provide her with additional stimulation that she also enjoys. Allow her to drive when and how and where she incorporates you or your hands or your tongue or whatever into her masturbatory technique and routine and allowing her to fold you into her process gradually, into her masturbatory technique and routine, when and where she can, slowly and without it being about you know handing off the baton to you and you being totally in charge and in control of her body and orgasm and her pleasure at that point, you're likelier to get to the place you want to get to, which is where you can get her off solo. Look, Ma, no hands, orgasm, he did it, he built it, you built it, right? Then making it all about you right now at three months with this new sex partner. Toys are wonderful. I can't assign you a toy. What you need to do is get on a website for a good vibrations or a come as you are or a babe land and look around and see what piques her interest or visit. If you live in a city that has a woman owned sex toy store, feminist sex toy store like Shebop in Portland, visit the store and check out the sex toys. And let her pick something that she wants to try, that she's excited about. That is going to provide you with a better result, potentially, than the fag sex advice podcaster assigning a sex toy to the boyfriend to bring to the girlfriend. That's unlikely to result in any sort of success. Take her to a sex toy store if she's interested in sex toys. But right now, it's working. She is orgasmic. She has orgasms. She has orgasms with you there. You're not driving them right now. But you are present and a part of what's arousing for her. So take that yes for an answer and stop making a problem out of the fact that you can't do it all yourself right now. And remind yourself that it's only been six months and take the pressure off. If you've been really working at this over the last three months, one of the reasons that her orgasms may be elusive when you're in control is that she feels they're not about her and her pleasure, but about pleasing you about giving you the gift of allowing you to make her come. My orgasm isn't for me. My pleasure isn't for me. My pleasure is a command performance that's about his ego. 
that is not sexy. And you want this to be sexy and for it to be sexy, it needs to be relaxed. So fucking relax about your girlfriend's orgasms. She comes. Your ability to get her off, your ability to make her come, that too will come in time. Hi, Dan. I have a a little ethical question for you. Um, I live in a big city um, where everybody lives in close quarters um, and where you pretty much have to have roommates to live affordably. So I've always had roommates. I really enjoy overhearing people having sex. I think it's very sexy. It really turns me on. And I'm wondering if you can help me figure out if this little curiosity interest of mine is going too far. I never ever intentionally spy on people, certainly uh, visually, um, and I never go out of my way to try to listen to people. But if I happen to hear it, like from a roommate or neighbors upstairs or downstairs or across the hallway, it really grabs my attention. And I tend to stop and listen and listen kind of intently. And I let myself uh, feel a little thrill of hearing sexy noises and I let myself get turned on and then I'll kind of store that away for later. Or if I'm in my bedroom doing nothing and I overhear like the neighbors upstairs having sex, sometimes I'll masturbate right then and there. Is this wrong? Is this crossing a line into creepy voyeurism? Nobody knows I do this. I've never gotten caught. So I'm not directly making anybody uncomfortable but if they knew i suspect it probably would make people a little bit uncomfortable so i'm just wondering is this okay your thing and i think it's kind of rounding up to call it a kink is fine you say if they knew they might be uncomfortable well they don't know and they will never know and you aren't going out of your way to overhear people having sex you aren't standing under people's windows you aren't creeping around your apartment building at night putting a glass up to people's doors and trying to overhear what might be going on in their apartment at the time. You are in your own room, in your own bed, or moving through your day, and you hear someone having sex and you file that away for later. Or if you're in your own room, in your own bed, and the people upstairs or a roommate is having sex loud enough for you to hear it, you become aroused and you masturbate. You have an absolute right to masturbate alone in your room without bothering anyone else. Copulatory vocalizations. That's what that's called. When people scream and yell and make a lot of noise during sex, when they moan and groan and sometimes scream during climax, that's what that's called. That's the fancy sex term for it, fancy sex research term for it, copulatory vocalizations. We are wired, we humans, to be aroused at the sound of copulatory vocalizations by others. You are not obligated. Ethicists will not tell you that when People are fucking in your apartment building or in your apartment. You're not obligated to put your fingers in your ears and go, yeah, 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 until they're done. You can hear what you hear. You are free to hear what you hear and you're free to masturbate in private and alone when and where you care to masturbate. If people are worried about being overheard and some stranger, two apartments over, masturbating to the sounds of them having sex, then they should be quiet when they have sex. Your thing falls firmly into the secret thrill column. So long as you aren't telling anyone, so long as you aren't going up to the roommate in the morning and elbowing them in the ribs and saying, that was really hot last night hearing your boyfriend fuck. So long as you aren't creeping on people, you are not doing anything wrong. Hey, Dan, cis female, straight from North Carolina. 
my boyfriend and I both recently picked up second jobs because we want to purchase a house and we're really thinking about our future and, you know, weddings and kids and all of that takes a lot of money. And right now we're young and we don't have kids and we're not married or a house. So we kind of have a little bit more time. The problem is starting to become we're we're working opposite 12 hour days. It seems like, you know, I'll have an afternoon off and it'll be the afternoon that he works till one, two o'clock in the morning at a restaurant. And when he gets home, honestly, he doesn't want to have sex. And then the same is true for me. I'll work 12 hour days, come home from a restaurant at 2 a.m. Knowing I have to be at work at 6 a.m. the next day, crash. And as much as I want to have sex with him mentally, physically my body just can't do it. And it's taking an extreme toll on our relationship as far as, you know, when you're young and you're thinking about your future, you want to be able to have sex. And we just aren't, and it sucks. And I don't know if maybe it's not worth it. I don't know. I know you've probably had a lot of people who come from the same circumstances. Welcome to America when you're in your 20s and in debt. If you and your boyfriend are fine going without sex for the years it's going to take for you to save enough money to crawl out of debt and buy a house, then it might be worth it. But if no sex and not seeing much of each other and being too exhausted to connect that way sexually, intimately, when you are together, is going to destroy your relationship, then it's not worth it. Because then what you're doing is imagining a future together that you need all this money for, that you're saving all this money for. But in the saving of all that money and the having of two jobs, you're destroying the, the present. And there is no future for you two if the present is destroyed. My advice for you would be to quit these jobs or ask yourselves, how long can we do this? How long can we go without seeing much of each other, having much sex before it begins to really negatively impact our relationship? And our emotional lives. How long? And if it's three months, if you were fine for the first three months, and then it really began to wear on you, then get that second job for three months, and then quit it for three months, and then get another second job for three months. Three months on, three months off, three months on, three months off. It'll delay the saving of the money that you need to buy that house, but you'll have a boyfriend then to move into that house with when you've saved that money. Hi, Dan. I really need your help, okay? So I've been with my boyfriend for two and a half years. I'm 26. He's 31. Anyway, I gained about 50 pounds in the time that we've been together, like about over the last year and a half. And now he does not want to have sex with me, okay? So we have sex like once or twice a month and I always initiate and he doesn't seem that interested and it that's what I'm thinking it is it's the weight and it's really hard for me it it just hurts it's really lowering my self-esteem and I know the the answer is like you know get fit be confident with myself again and eat well and I'm not doing those things and I I need to work on that but it really just I I don't know I guess my question is is it mean of him to not want to have sex with me now that I've gained weight? He hasn't explicitly said that, and I don't think he's trying to punish me. I think he just doesn't have sexual attraction to the body type that I'm in now. I was, like, really fit when we first started dating. So what do I do, Dan? I just – I love him so much. I need sex in my life. I'm, 
I'm going to start eating better and working out, but I don't know if I'll ever be as skinny as I was because I was basically anorexic when we met and I've always struggled with food stuff. So please help. When you say you were basically anorexic then when you first met your boyfriend two and a half years ago, do you mean clinically diagnosed anorexic food food disorder? Um, no. Okay. So I'm 27 now. And when I was like 19, I was anorexic for like two years. Like I would, I would eat like an apple or an egg in the day. Mm. And, um, and then when I met my boyfriend, I was eating more than that, but I would like skip meals on purpose and things like that. I just have weird food things. Mm -hmm. And, And so when you met your boyfriend, you were, you were very slim. You say, you keep saying you were fit. When someone tells me, you know, when I met you, I was anorexic or then I was anorexic. Uh, it sounds like you you had anorexia and it was treated uh, when you were 19. But when you met your boyfriend, were you, you know, the, the person, the body you were in then, were you skeletal? Were you unhealthy? Was he attracted to you at a time in your life when you were not well? No, no. He didn't know that I had, that I was like intentionally skipping meals. Like I just looked, thin, like I looked good. Like I looked skinny, but I wasn't like skeletal or anything like that. So you weren't emaciated and, and sallow and and sick. You appear to be sick. No, I really didn't. Okay, so I, I I hate to ask this like this, but but I feel like I have to address it directly. What's been going on in the last year and a half that you put on fifty pounds? And I don't just mean what have you been eating and have you not been you know moving. I mean emotionally. What's been going down in the last year and a half? that you put on 50 pounds. If there's an emotional component and when somebody has a history of eating disorders, there's often an emotional component to weight gain or weight loss, mm-hmm. particularly significant weight gain or weight loss. So what's been going on? Well, we moved in together and so I couldn't skip meals. Like he was like, we were so in love and he was cooking me all this pasta with garlic bread and Alfredo sauce. And I just like, I flipped, like I'm kind of like all or nothing. So I was like, okay, now I'm eating a lot. And that just continued. And now I like, I just kind of lost control of it. And now I'm just like, okay, I can eat whatever I want. And now I'm in this body type that I feel so uncomfortable in. Mm. And it's just so hard to, to get back, you know, to find the middle ground to where I'm like eating healthily. And you've never directly addressed this with him. You've never said, Hey, I put on a lot of weight. You don't seem as attracted to me anymore. What's up? I have. And he just like, he doesn't admit it. Like he just kind of gets quiet. Like I'm like, is it just that I gained weight and you just don't want to have sex with me because this isn't the body type you're sexually attracted to. And he just kind of gets quiet. And I'm like, just tell me if that's what it is because we used to have sex all the time. Let's imagine for a second that he told you that that's what it was. I mean, honestly, it would be hard to hear. But which is probably why he yeah, hasn't, I even probably why he hasn't said it. Yeah, he just doesn't want to hurt me. He really is a nice guy, but it's just like we have to have sex, and I just don't know if I'm being like unfair to be like you have to want me at any body type. You know, like I don't even feel confident, and I'm sure that's part of it. What sort of shape is he in? If he's serving up Alfredo, garlic sauce, garlic bread. <laughs> He's in good shape. He's a fireman, and so he's just, like, always working out at work, and he's not, like, ripped, but he's, like, got a, a good body. So he's able to burn off all those calories. Yeah, like, he's got incredible stamina. So it seems to me you have to have a difficult conversation with him about your food issues. And and I say this to you as someone with food issues himself. I was heavy in high school. I was fat in high school. And I am very hyper about what I'm eating and when I'm eating. And whenever I sit down in a restaurant, I think, what did I eat yesterday? 
And that determines what I'm going to eat today. Because if I had a burger and fries yesterday, I'm not having a burger and fries today. So I'm constantly thinking about food. And I come from a family Mm -hmm. uh, where most of my relatives are heavy. And it has been kind of a lifelong struggle. I'm 53 years old. Lifelong struggle for me to stay relatively slim and fit, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. so, So that requires a conscious effort on my part. But not just on my part, also on the part of my partner. We eat, we eat healthy together in part because, and he doesn't need to, he can eat anything. And I had to learn how to sit with Terry, my husband, uh, in his twenties when he was in his pint of Ben and Jerry's every night stage and not have any ice cream myself, which was really hard, you know, when someone's inhaling that Ben and Jerry's in front of you, Um, but meals, like he's the cook and he plans the meals and we eat really healthy, not because he necessarily needs to be that conscientious about food, but because I do. And he supports me in that. And if your gaining weight is, you know, a problem in your relationship, a problem for him being attracted to you, and yet everything he prepares for you and he likes to cook and he likes to make food is high calorie and you don't have the kind of job where you're active all day long like he is, he's partly responsible for this impasse. And this is something that you guys need to work on together, not just you take full responsibility and all the blame and this is all on you, like your health and his health, if you are a couple, if you live together, are intertwined. And the way he eats is fine for him, but that kind of eating, that kind of firehouse eating where you want to pack in calories because you're getting so much cardio, that's not going to work for you. Yeah. So you need to say to him, bitch, more more stir fry, less <laughs> fettuccine and fucking Alfredo with garlic bread. You don't serve garlic bread with pasta because pasta is bread. You don't have a bread side <laughs> with a bread. Maine, you have a vegetable. Make some goddamn yeah. grilled asparagus when you're going to have fettuccine Alfredo. I love spaghetti carbonara. I don't deny myself the foods I love. But if I'm having spaghetti carbonara for dinner, which I do at a restaurant near our house, I don't get bread with that. Right. That is bread. It's actually (laughs) the idea, the the perfect iteration of bread is spaghetti carbonara. It's bread's highest form. So so, so (laughs) your weight gain and you being at a a weight that you feel comfortable and, you know... (laughs) And I get in trouble when I say this. Yeah, you know, two and a half years into a relationship, if someone that you're with radically changes their look, and this isn't just about weight, radically changes their look in some way, that can negatively impact the sexual connection and the initial attraction that brought you two together. And bodies change and people age, but that is usually a very gradual process, right? And then you have years of intimacy and connectedness to sort of not compensate for, but kind of fill that void as, you know, as gravity and, and, and time shreds us all that there's that, that affection and, and connection and history that can create its own kind of erotic bond uh, and, and help keep that attraction in place. But when it happens rapidly and suddenly and early in a relationship, there hasn't been that time. Yeah. Which is not to make you feel bad and and to heap blame on you, but this is something that you two are going to have to fix together because you two together are with his complicit sort of probably unintentional, dense, inconsiderate uh, contribution. He helped create this problem in your relationship. 
which is not your weight. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying your weight is a problem in this relationship, but that you know that radical change in look that is negatively impacting his attraction to you. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. he helped you dig this hole. He's going to have to help you dig it out. Yeah, and I can go to him and like ask him to only cook healthy stuff. But do you think that it's okay that like he's not being cruel, right? It's not like a DTMFA situation, right? It's mm-hmm. like we just need to work on it together. Yes. And, and, but you can't work on it together until there's some honesty uh, about it. And this is really difficult because, you know, he's probably heard from a million different Oprah kind of talks out there in the world that you have to love the person on the inside and the outside shouldn't matter. And a guy who isn't attracted to a woman when she gains weight or gets bigger, her body changes is an asshole. And he doesn't want to be an asshole, right? So that's why mm-hmm. he's not answering the question when you put it to him. Is it my weight gain? Is that why you don't initiate anymore? You don't seem very excited about sex with me at the moment. And he's not going to answer that truthfully. And so until there's some honesty there, there's going to be more and more distance and, and, and distrust. Yeah. Because his actions are saying one thing and his words are saying another. Honey, nothing's changed, but you can tell that everything's changed about your sexual connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just intimacy in general. Like He's just not as as touchy or like, I don't know, excited about me. And that kind of withholding is only going to make it worse because then you're going to start eating your feelings. Then food is going to become the comfort, the physical comfort. Food is a physical comfort. Food is going to become the physical comfort that takes the place of the physical comfort you used to get from him. And I'm not saying you got to lose 50 pounds to get that back. I'm saying he shouldn't be withdrawing from you in this way. He should be there for you. But you're going to have to have some radically honest conversations with him that might be painful. And those radically honest conversations have to include him taking responsibility for your, your health as a couple. The two of you together are a unit and a team now. And there's a way that you two together are going to have to eat that's good for both of you. Not just good for him at the fire department, but good for you too. And that's, again, like circling back to me and Terry, that is something that Terry, who is the meal planner, is very conscious of. I can't eat like he eats. I can't have ice cream every day. I can't have pasta every night because I'll explode. Mm, Yeah. He can, but he doesn't. And that's where you need to get to. Yeah. And you need to move and you need to go to the gym. Not to like get, lose every ounce of the 50 pounds. Not everybody doesn't have to be a rail. Women don't all have to be size zeros. Guys don't all have to be Adonises. But the more we move, the more comfortable we are in our own skin and the healthier we feel whatever size we are. So I'd encourage you to work on the diet thing at home together, not deny yourself like going on a diet that doesn't work. Having a healthy diet that works. A healthy diet is balanced also with treats and pleasures, not just with Brussels sprouts and salad. Uh Right. Uh You will resent Brussels sprouts and salad less if the sight of them doesn't mean you don't get to eat the things that you enjoy. Still eat those things. But also move. Do you have a sedentary job? Yeah. Me too. I sit on my butt (laughs) at a computer uh, in a cafe or I sit on my butt in a recording studio all day long. And so I build movement into my day and walking and going places. And I know that's a luxury. Not everybody has the time to do that. You don't have kids right now, right? No. You should have more time to move and to get up and move. Not for him. Not with the goal of being the weight you were 50 pounds ago or at 19, God forbid. Mm -hmm. So you feel comfortable in your body and confident. 
Absolutely. I, I just had my birthday and I, um, I asked for this like at home treadmill that like folds up and you can put under the bed in between uses. So I'm, I'm going to like try to get a certain amount of steps every day. And I, I know I'll actually use it cause I can just watch TV while I do it. And okay. so I am going to, I'm going to try. Don't do that. <laughs> Those, <laughs> like, like, no, no, go ahead and do that. But in my experience, the, the home exercise equipment doesn't work because you can always step off the treadmill at home and go eat or masturbate or lay down or watch television without having to walk. Um, if you're in a gym and you're not working out, you're like, what am I doing here? You can't go get something out of the fridge and you can't like go masturbate. You're at the gym. So you, you work out <laughs> when you're in a place where other people are working out. And when you're home, you don't want to work out. And when, if, you, if you're going to walk, walk out in the world so you can see things and experience I I have a sketchy neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, maybe the treadmill is the best idea, but a lot of sketchy neighborhoods have even re- great gyms. And don't feel self-conscious about going to a gym if you're larger. I promise you the gym regulars are only looking at themselves. They're not looking at the newbies at the gym. Yeah, you're right. And and um, my boyfriend will actually go with me to the gym if I ever asked. Like, I know he would be like, sure, let's go. So that's kind of cool. And we live really close to our gym. Ah, go to the gym. I I promise you, if you force yourself to go for eight weeks, then it becomes a routine and a habit and you begin to feel so much better. Not because you're more virtuous because you're at the gym or you're suddenly like the 50 pounds have evaporated. You feel better. It's a a natural antidepressant to to move and to exercise. Mm -hmm. And you will find after forcing yourself to go for eight weeks or 12 weeks that after that time you want to go and it's just built into your day and you just do it. Okay. And bring your phone, listen to your podcasts, listen to the Savage Lovecast, watch the TV on the treadmill. There's a social reward to being a regular at the gym, too, because you get to know other people at the gym. And it gets you out of your house and away from your TV. Yeah. And out of your own head. And it becomes a support system. It really does. Okay. You can do it. And I'm not saying you can lose all the weight and re-earn his affections and make him attracted to you again. I'm saying you can be fit and healthy, but to solve the problem of the, the, the sex problem in this relationship, you're going to have to risk honesty and, and a kind of radical honesty mm-hmm. and, and, and mutual responsibility. Good luck. Thank you so much for calling. That's amazing. I listen to you all the time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It. I want to get a call from you in 12 weeks that you're listening to me at the gym on a treadmill there. <laughs> you got it. Okay. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Hi, Dan. I've seen two movies in the last week which featured love scenes between two men. And like almost every other movie uh, that has such scenes, it's always bottom face down with the top mounting from behind. What is the deal with filmmakers that they are so unimaginative that they think that is the only position that two men can fuck? I'm a 54-year-old queer man, and I've had lots of butt sex in the last 35 years with lots of different guys, and the vast majority of the anal fucking has been done face-to-face. So what is the deal with filmmakers that they can't imagine any other way to, for two guys to fuck? So what do you think? It blows the minds of a lot of straight people when they hear the term gay missionary because they think missionary is – for them and for them alone, that all butt sex is from behind. You know, the butt is behind. Doggy style, That's doesn't have to be butt sex, often becomes butt sex and must be the only kind of sex or the only position that's available to gay men. I don't know what's up with the filmmakers. You don't mention the names of the films that you saw. I've seen some face-to-face 
guy on guy fucking in some movies. Uh, Queer as Folk, the TV series from the 90s or whenever that was, the American adaptation of the terrific British short series Queer as Folk. That featured some face to face missionary fucking. So you might want to watch that. It'll make you feel better. But yeah, there's a lot of straight people who think that there's only one way gay people do it on their knees sucking a dick or on their knees bent over at the waist taking a dick. And that ain't true. So if any filmmakers listening, if you're going to show a gay sex scene, for God's sake, show some gay missionary. It will please my caller. It'll please other gay people out there who are sick of seeing doggy style and only doggy style. And it will blow the minds of straight people who will wonder how on earth they did that. Hi, Dan. I am a lesbian in my late 30s, and I wanted to know what you thought about processing, which seems like an appropriate question for a lesbian to ask. <laughs> I, you know, I, I know that there's that big cliche that lesbians like to process, and I think it's completely 100% accurate. And I am in a new relationship and am feeling like my inclination is to process some stuff that's coming up already. And my new partner is like, no, 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 we are not processing. And I know that I could definitely get a little too into it, but I'm, I've done a lot of work to be aware of when I'm processing too much. And I keep choosing partner after partner after partner who don't want to process at all. And obviously, I'm the common denominator there. And I was just curious how you and Terry deal with processing. Like, if you need to discuss something, do you just bring it up over, like, breakfast cereal? Or do you make an appointment to process? Or do you, like, process over text, God forbid? Because I'm trying to create, like, a deeper layer of intimacy in my new relationship. And I don't know how that can possibly happen without processing. So I'd love to know what you think about this and if it is indeed possible to have like a deep, intimate connection with someone, but you never, ever process. I don't feel comfortable tackling this one on my own. So I have convened a panel of expert lesbian, presumably processors of some note and skill because they've been at this lesbian inning thing for a very long time. Tracy Cataldo, my mean lesbian boss from the Hump Film Festival, and Katie Herzog, my colleague here at The Stranger. Thank you both for, for coming in. Hi. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much. I've, I've never told you this, I don't think, but I actually had an advice column of my own for a little while, but nobody would ask me questions, so it was an unsolicited advice column. <laughs> it's called Don't Ask, Do Tell. So this is really a dream. Are you serious? Thing. Yeah, I'm serious. Un- actually, an unsolicited yeah, advice I column would, is a hilarious idea. I would take questions posed to you and Dear Abby and, <laughs> and like whoever had an advice column, and I would answer them on my own. So uh, Small audience. Oh, anyway, I can't process that. I still want to know when, if the answer to that question is if you and Terry process over breakfast or make the appointment. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry and I, you know, we have actually a, a designated cabinet full of crockery for throwing. That is our like processing place. Mm-hmm. You process physically. We process physically. No, we process usually by text, and it's it's not it's not a great place to process because Kids these days you yeah. can't you can't see someone's face, their their intonations. I don't recommend Terry and I's approach to processing, which is furious day-long text exchanges. Hmm. 
So so let's get let's get to the very beginning of this. And, and I have a confession to make. The first uh, Twitter outrage dogpile that I found myself on the bottom of was when I joked in Savage Love my column about lesbians processing and lesbian U-Hauls, and I was attacked for regurgitating or reinforcing or endorsing these cruel and vicious stereotypes about lesbians. But they move in together on the second date. They move in together on the second date and they won't shut the fuck up about, you know, (laughs) there's a certain amount of processing that's necessary, but there's processing as pastime. Yes. And lesbians seem prone to that processing as pastime. There seems to me to be an inverse relationship between the amount of processing that you do, that you do and the happiness level in your relationship. I was going to say the amount of sex that you have. I think, yeah, I think that's also true. And that's why I'll never be poly because it sounds like that requires a lot of processing and I don't know how much sex people actually have. But you, but you agree that lesbians do process. I, a lot of lesbians do. I don't process. I'm an anti-processor. My current relationship, I've, I think we've had... You barely one, speak. We, we don't need to speak. We're, we're so connected. We're so intimate that we don't even need to speak, <laughs> much less process. We don't or live process. together. Actually, we haven't been in each other's presence for a couple no, it's just, it's totally perfect. online. Um, we've never processed. We've uh, we also never fight, and I think there's a, a, a correlation there. I mean, it's just like I, th- the idea that you can't have an intimate relationship without constantly process everything. To me, is crazy. Let, I have let, a question. How long have you guys been together? Three years. Okay. Let's define terms, though. What do we mean when we say processing? You know, like there's I, conflict in every relationship, and people talk it out, and then they hopefully resolve that conflict. Is that what people mean by processing? I think processing is having a discussion. Like, right, an adult discussion. But well, about who the doesn't have adult discussions but with I, their adult but about, about, the, the relationship, about the relationship. About the shit that's coming up in the relationship. Right. So mm-hmm. I think if, uh, if I'm on a first date, second date, a one night stand, and somebody says we need to process this, I'm running out the door. Yes. There's no fucking way we're going to talk about your shit or my shit on a one night stand. That's a bad date. You know, and I came from relationships that was only about processing, and it was draining, and it was awful. And when I met my partner now, one of the first things she said to me in the beginning of the relationship was, I'm not fucking doing that. And it was such a relief. And with that said, the longer we went in the relationship, you hit three, four, five years, you bring your shit. I think everybody brings their own personal shit to a relationship that's going to come up. And I think if you ignore it, and you don't own up to your shit, Mm -hmm. and maybe not process... The stuff between, you know, the relationship, like why the fight happened or whatever, but just process the fact that like, hey, I was an asshole because this shit, you know, hit me a certain way. I'm sorry. I'm going to work on that so we don't keep hitting the same fucking wall over and over. Tell me if I'm wrong, because when I hear about lesbian processing, what I think isn't just the normal kind of discussions and maybe resolutions that you want to have in a relationship for conflict, but this desire to get to the bottom and root of every conflict, every disagreement. When if you want your relationship to survive, there's a point at which you have to stop picking the corn out of the shit and just allow some things to be unresolvable. Yes, I think sometimes the answer to the processing or whatever you want to call it can just say, we just need to figure out a workaround about this if you want to continue this relationship. It doesn't mean we have to figure out the route or we have to break up, but you definitely should figure out a workaround so you don't keep running into the same awful process sometimes the price of admission is about an interpersonal conflict that is unresolvable that's why you need the cabinet full of designated tossing crockery yeah your girlfriend isn't your therapist or maybe your girlfriend is your therapist but then you should probably get a new in which case you should not (laughs) what if your girlfriend is a therapist but (laughs) not yours a lot of girlfriends are therapists maybe that maybe that's the issue with this woman maybe she's a therapist and and she should just like keep it in the therapy room and maybe not in the bedroom as much but this to me seems it does seem like like 
if I were in a relationship with a heavy processor, it wouldn't like we wouldn't be compatible. And if she's in a relationship with some with or she can, continues to be in relationships with people who don't like to process, we're talking about the caller, here. the caller, the caller. Um, I I'm like I'm hard pressed. I personally would not data would not data processor. Would, to me, that sounds terrible. I mean, like it is kind of funny. You know, I got in trouble for saying lesbians in, indulge in too much process. You both say that this is something lesbians are prone to. Neither you nor you. Katie, Tracy, you guys aren't, don't go in for process in your relationships. And the problem the caller is having is she loves process. She wants to pick the corn out of the shit, but the women that she's dating aren't into it. There so, are plenty that are. She can find some who love to process. I was just wondering if maybe this stereotype is, is outdated and we need to move on because of all the lesbians involved in this conversation, you, you the caller, and all of the women that she's dated, there's only one who's well, into processing. She- so, but she, but the caller is into processing. Yeah, she yes. wants to pick yes. the corn out of the shit. I mean, I have been in relationships with with lots of processors, but those relationships have always ended. To me, the, like the the point in relationships where I feel like processing is necessary is at the end of the relationship. That like that's that's the precursor to the breakup. When all you can talk about is the relationship, then to me, the relationship is over. I just I think like if you if you have a dispute or you have a disagreement that is affecting your happiness in the relationship, you have to fucking talk about it. I feel like I curse so much when I'm on this podcast. <laughs> Go <laughs> fucking for fuck it. Fuck a lot. Um, I do think you should give it a chance to talk about, but I don't love the idea of like processing said, for processing. Sake. Yeah, p- like just and that is that is you're. It's like you're looking for a fight. You're looking for uh, something to argue about. I think if something comes up organically that makes you uncomfortable, sure. Have the, le- talk the lesbian about it. processing that I've witnessed in person uh, was when some lesbians asked me to, to donate semen and we had some lunches and conversations. And what I witnessed was this desire not to sort of like work through some shit, find a workaround, find a compromise, acknowledge that there's you'll always have a conflict about this, but this kind of to me, that seemed deranged notion that if you could get to the bottom of everything, you would have a perfect, frictionless, conflict-free relationship. So any friction, any conflict was evidence that, oh my God, you needed to like go to the mattresses, lock yourself in a room, and talk this out forever until it was resolved. And some shit ain't resolvable. Some shit yeah. you have to step around. My girlfriend Agreed. and I, on a, on a long cross-country trip, um, about two years ago, we we got along remarkably well. We got all the way f- like this included like being like detained in New Mexico because apparently you're not supposed to take weed across borders. So like some stressful. Who knew? Moments. I know. Who knew? Wait till you fly somewhere. <laughs> oh no, that's actually that's fine. <laughs> um, just take your vape pen. So some like stressful moments on this trip, and we got along remarkably well. And then we got all the way across the country, and in San Francisco, we had you know we had like our first big fight, but we were really close to a beach, and so what we did was we pulled over and we drew a, a, a circle, literally drew a circle in the stand in the sand and we wrestled and that has been our go-to way of like of processing our arguments physical sit. violence it's not violence it's wrestling like nobody okay she did wow, she I'm actually so did impressed. she did album this like we were doing this like two days ago because we have this mattress on our floor now so we're long story but anyway she elbowed me in the eye the other day so i have sort of a little bit of a black eye right now you can't really tell unless you get really close to it but so there have been some moments of like physical violence but other than other than the elbow in the eye it's been like a remarkably good way like a copacetic way of dealing with our disagreements we just wrestle you're looking you're both looking at me like i'm crazy but it works really well there have been some moments of physical violence, I mean, but hopefully she, all accidental. Just when she elbowed me in the eye. That so, was, and that was accidental. And that wasn't actually for conflict. So what you're saying is fun. that you guys get conflict, you get tense, and then you like work through that tension with some physical rolling around. Yeah, yeah. Not like this isn't wrestling. This is like Greco-Roman wrestling. This isn't like WWE. Like, you know how many requests we're going to get for the video of this? That we're <laughs> well, gonna you, to... can, you know what? You can pay for it. If you can, if you can afford it, you can have it. Okay, final word on processing. 
it's a cliche that lesbians do it. Is that true? Yes. Yes. But you guys don't do it. True. And what's your advice for the caller who wants to find a girlfriend who's into processing? Where does she go besides out of the house? I agree with your answer, the price of admission. If it's really that worth it to you to be in a relationship with this person, you have to let it go. Yeah, it's not. You need to find a new partner. Put it on your Tinder profile. I love to process. And get no dates. Hi, Dan. I'm a 21-year-old lesbian. And I guess I have a question for you about sexuality in general. So I have been very strongly queer identified since I was 17. And tonight I made out with this dude. He was like a really cute British dude and there was chemistry there and we were both really drunk and we made out and I'm kind of freaking out about it. And I know that most tolerant people's first response would be like, oh, like totally fine, like one thing doesn't totally redefine your sexuality Um, and I know that in sort of a logical way but emotionally I'm still really weirded out by it not because I thought I felt weird but because I really liked it let's start with you Katie any advice for this straight girl Oh, I think she needs to smoke a little bit of weed, maybe watch some TV and chill the fuck out. This is not that big a deal. I mean, like, this is my problem with labels. I'm a lesbian. Like, I embrace that term. But I also don't let that, like, absolutely define my behavior in life. I mean, I'm not going to suck a dick. But, like, if I slipped on one, I wouldn't have a freak out about it. (laughs) I'm on the same page. I totally agree. I think chill out. Sexuality is fluid and there's a little bit of mush around everybody's. Yeah. Ass. It's just a makeout. Come it's on. okay. It's okay. You're gonna drunk, not drunk, woman, man, doesn't matter. I personally, the same. I'm very, um, hundred percent lesbian. Would never have sex with a man. Don't love the idea of thinking about kissing a man. Um, that said, no problem cuddling up with like you know nice Channing Tatum or Ryan Gosling just to like have some nice bear man hug time. I think lesbians are fine with that. That doesn't mean you're, or straight, you know, straight women doesn't mean you're one way or the other. I think this, I made out with a dude, therefore my sexual identity has been undermined in a fatal way. That's a freak out for straight boys. That's not a freak out for lesbians. I I made out with a girl in my 20s in Kentucky Shakespeare Festival, Louisville, Kentucky, a million fucking years ago. And we got drunk and we made out and rolled around like hot and heavy and the next day, I wasn't worried. I wasn't really gay. The next morning, I was like hung over, mm-hmm. but not ashamed and not yeah. freak the fuck out. Don't freak the fuck don't out. Freak yeah. out. Don't freak out. Don't feel out. so pressured to put yourself in a box with yeah. a label on it. It's just, just a label. Go That's with it. the flow. If it feels good, go with it. And if that it label, doesn't... it's always important to emphasize, it's what you want to communicate about who you are sexually. And hopefully, you want to communicate the truth. If you're a Ted Haggard, Google him, closet case cocksucker and head of a mega church and you're sucking a lot of dick and you identify as straight you're not telling the truth that's going to blow up in your face sooner or later if you are lesbian identified and it's mostly women or almost exclusively women that you're attracted to and that you've had sex with and that you want to partner with in the future and you make out with one dude it is still the truth when you tell someone that you are a lesbian and it's kind of hot that on that type of honesty is hot when you show up to a relationship or to a a date or whatever and you 
lay all your shit out. Like, you so know. you're so she's she may be worried. One of the things people are sometimes worried when they get into this kind of a circumstance is if people find out that I made out with the dude. If other lesbians find out I made out with the dude, they're not going to want to date me. Would you date this woman if you were single and into her, despite the fact she made out with the cute British boy? Of course. My girlfriend's bisexual. I have no problem with this. I mean, to me, like, this doesn't show that you're not a lesbian. It shows that you're an opportunist. And I don't see anything <laughs> wrong with that. You know what? What would, uh, like, ruin it for me is if I was, I got into a relationship with this person and all this time went by and she was secretly making out with dudes behind me or she never was truthful from the beginning that she sometimes had feelings that she wanted to make out with guys. That would be a little more disturbing, like, just be honest from the beginning, and you won't have those issues later on. In because a if they come up later on, you're going to have to process that shit. Exactly, <laughs> and that's no good. Hi, Dan. Uh, my name is Sarah, and I am in a um, relationship with my wife for the last seven or eight years. Um, we got married about a year ago, and we're in therapy for a bit because I wanted to be in an open relationship, and didn't. We were in therapy for years around it. The therapist basically told us we shouldn't be together. And here we are now married, seemed to be a little bit codependent. But anyways, um, a baby and uh, her being pregnant now, later, I'm feeling really the itch that um, I want to go out and see people. No, it sounds like pretty bad timing, especially for someone who doesn't support an open relationship. But our therapist had us sign a contract that she knows that I did not change, that I want something that she does not want, and I'm not going to change, and we will tackle that when we get there and be open and honest about it. The problem is, is I have a hard time being open and honest when she just seems difficult to approach and talk to. So I don't know if it's her really being difficult or really me fearing having that conversation, but I'd like to say, hey, Jackie, I know you're pregnant and you don't want to have sex at all. Well, I happen to finally have a sex drive after having the first baby because she's carrying the second. And I want to go out and, you know, just have sex and have that conversation and not take away from our family. But I'm, I'm scared to do that. I just wanted your advice. Nice to get this question for once from a woman. I have gotten this question a million times from dudes with the pregnant wife at home with the small child and they want to at this moment, open the relationship up. What They're you, lesbians. What the fuck is going on here? What's wrong with lesbians that they would get themselves into a circumstance like this? This wouldn't happen to a gay couple or a straight couple. It's just those opposite Oh, yeah, sex. just lesbians. Just lesbians. I mean, what's the, what's, so what's your advice when men call you with this question? You don't get to open a relationship up when there are infants and pregnancies I mean, involved. that seems like exactly... I don't believe in double standards. I mean, this seems like exactly the same thing. And my advice in a situation like this is don't scramble your DNA together with someone that you are fundamentally sexually incompatible with they signed a contract saying they know that they knew they were incompatible a contract it's a contract they must presented to them by a processy lesbian therapist (laughs) no doubt who told them that they were wrong for each other yeah i think um i agree kids involved makes it a little more complicated and also i think maybe the person on the receiving end that she's afraid to talk to about it um the the pregnant wife uh I think she needs to figure out what it is, what she's afraid of, you know, hearing that her partner wants to go out and sleep with other people. That's obviously, she's afraid to have that conversation with her because she's afraid of the reaction. And and, and it's possible her partner is exercising what I call the anger veto. Like you can't raise this subject because I'm going to blow up. And that's and kind not, of rightfully so. If you're hormonal, no, I mean, if you're but they, hormonal, but if she was exercising woman, the anger veto prior to the arrival of these children. Okay, right. But as far as your wife is pregnant 
I think you need to dedicate that amount of time to your wife and be supportive of the pregnancy and deal with all those emo- emotions you know, flying up and down. Whatever and not- issues the wife has, the currently pregnant wife, and the, the caller carried the first baby, and she says that she had no libido when she was pregnant. Whatever issues she has probably tie to many people's cliche fears of abandonment. And asking someone who's pregnant to like confront those fears at a moment in a person's life when they their fears of abandonment are are even more heightened because they're pregnant and vulnerable and a, being abandoned at that moment would be a catastrophe. Yeah, you just can't go there. You just call. You're just going to have to masturbate a lot and get through this and then build a time machine and go back and don't marry this woman and have children with somebody else who wants what you want in life. Problem solved. Yeah. Hi, Dan. This is a 24-year-old lesbian female and a 25-year-old lesbian female from California. We've been in a relationship for over a year and we've been seeing each other for over two years now and we love each other very much. However, lately we've been fighting almost every day and it's always about stupid stuff. We acknowledge that our fights later are like really stupid, but then we still keep having them almost every day and they're big and they are dramatic and then for some reason we keep falling into the same pattern. But we acknowledge that we love each other very much and we don't want to keep fighting anymore, but we can't seem to figure out how to see eye to eye. Uh, What should we do? I think Katie should go first because you don't fight and have never fought with your partner except those times when you engage in bouts of physical violence and get elbowed in the face by I your mean, partner that you don't fight with. Those aren't fights. Those are wrestling matches. But I have had plenty of partners before who I have fought with and those relationships have all ended. I mean, I know that you maybe and Terry sort of enjoy fighting and it's part of your dynamic and you've managed to be there for a really long time. But for me personally, fighting is just not how I like to live my life. Um, But I understand this. Like, that's a stressful position to be in. You love somebody, but for some reason, like, you're just not communicating well. You're fighting a lot. I don't know. They're 25, 23, 24. Like, this is just not... Like, the person that you're with at that age is probably not going to be the person that you're with when you're 50 or 60 anyway. So I kind of feel like... You know, give it up. I agree. Pull the plug. Fighting every day is not healthy behavior for yourself, for your relationship. Um, I think part of it is that habitual routine that maybe you're used to showing up to, and it's really hard to not still see that person every day. But I guarantee, you know, I was in a relationship that we fought every day, and I I didn't understand when I was finally out of it. I didn't understand why I did not leave sooner, why I did not pull that plug sooner, why it took me so long to say, I am not happy out loud. Mm -hmm. And the second I met, maybe not the second, but you know, as soon as I established a healthy relationship with my partner now, and there was, we weren't fighting every day. It was this like aha moment of there are people out there that you actually are compatible with that you will not fight with every day. But you will still sometimes fight with. Of course. One of the reasons you know that someone is right for you and you guys are good for each other is that you can have a fight and fight it out and, and then move past it without anger and recrimination in the wake of the fight. Terry and I do fight a bit. Um, but we don't, uh, it's not often it isn't personal and we are able to move past it quickly. 
like volume is how we process. Yeah. And I, I think that's okay. My concern with this call, she said they fight about stupid stuff. And when I mm-hmm. see that happening in the relationships of friends or callers or people who write me, the fights about stupid stuff, it's the stupid thing is being discussed or argued about because the serious thing or the real thing that is the source of the conflict is too scary to look at and address directly. Cause it usually means the relationship is over right? right. because the, the, the real thing that you're not fighting about is, you shouldn't fatal. be together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is the fact that is proof yeah. that you shouldn't be together. Yeah. So you don't want to look back because you're not ready to break up and, yet. And also, like, what type of fighting? You know, I think, like Dan said, we, you know, you have hard conversations, and you know, I always say, I, I know that my relation. I know that we have fights in my relationship. Um, I call them hard discussions. Uh, my partner calls them. We have a we had a fight, and it's always so mind-boggling to me because fighting in relationships in my past relationships were like slamming doors and yelling and my fighting now quote-unquote is um, somebody gets sad and somebody gets frustrated and we have a really hard conversation and we work through it and I'm almost offended that that's get, that like, gets to be called a fight. It sounds like really hot woman-friendly lesbian porn when you describe it that way. <laughs> I just mean, I mean, if you're fighting every day and it's a hard conversation, that's annoying, that sucks, move on, find someone you don't have to have those hard conversations with every day. And if you're also with someone who's, you're slamming doors and you're, Bront, get away from but, that. But, but, I, but I, gotta, I gotta speak up in defense of the, the loud <laughs> arguing and fighting and sometimes door slamming uh, because that's worked out well for us for a long time. My mother used to call that when you know the kid, us kids would get upset. Daddy and I are loving each other loudly. But they got divorced, right? Yes. <laughs> so, I, mean, I mean, and there may be there may but be loving each other loudly was a part of her second marriage too. A different too. way that 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 men and women you know handle emotional stuff differently. You know, men. I think there's a lot of research about you would know more about this than I do, but men tend to let go of things faster, and women tend to hold on to them. And so, if you're doing that every day, if you're having these blobs with with two men every day, maybe you have a blow up and everything's fine. Whereas if you have women, like you have the fight and then it festers and then you have to process and it's just on this ongoing thing. I mean, to this caller, you can probably, unless you're like unlovable and you probably aren't, most people aren't, you can find somebody that you're compatible with that you, and when you experience a relationship that isn't full of conflict, probably your life will be better. From my experience, like as someone who has gone through lots of volatile relationships and is finally in one that isn't volatile. And, and that really partly came with aging is it's just better. Like my life is better. It's less stressful. It's not as like the, you don't have the sort of the high highs, the like really crazy blow ups, but you also don't have the real low lows. Yeah. I just think regardless of what type of fight it is, if you're hitting the same problem every single day, caller sounds maybe a little not so excited, not maybe it sounds a little sad about even asking this question. Cause I think, you know, the answer, I think, you know, that it's not healthy to run into the same wall with this person every day. Um, I think it's time to maybe search for someone who you're not going to fight with every day. And that is a legally binding ruling of the Lesbian Politburo or Lesbian Star Chamber. What are you guys? What do we call you? I like Star Chamber. Lesbian Star Chamber has issued its ruling and you must call her, dump your girlfriend and find somebody that you will have a relationship that still includes conflict. Conflict is a part of all human relationships, but not only conflict, the exclusion of joy and pleasure and companionship. And sex. And so, oh, right. Lesbians have sex? Uh, well, at least for the first couple of years months i'm not going to comment on that (laughs) thank you tracy cataldo thank you my mean lesbian boss runs the hump film festival and thank you katie herzog my colleague here at the stranger thank you hey dan calling for to comment on a young lesbian in episode 612 who's going through a divorce hi i did the same thing i'm also a lesbian i'm in my 30s now 
And I didn't have any problems rolling it out. Dan, I think your advice was great. I wish I'd had it when I was 21, 22. Um, but I think that what you missed is, is kind of maybe what she was really hoping to hear, which is like, sweetheart, people that you want to be with aren't going to care. And it's really easy to look at yourself and look at the situation that you've gotten yourself into and think, who the fuck is ever going to want to date me? I'm 20 and I'm divorced. And it's just not, it's a real fear. I've been there. I felt that. But like the people that you're going to be dating aren't going to, aren't going to hold that against you as much as you think they are. And people aren't going to judge you as much as you think they are. And I think what you'll actually find is that people who are happily married and in their thirties and forties, colleagues, friends, friends of friends, who know that you're going through this are actually going to come out to you and say, Oh, Hey, by the way, I actually got divorced in my twenties too, because that's what happened to me. And I was shocked at how big of a fraternity I was accidentally joining. So take it from me and my wife, my second wife, who I love very much, who I got married to in my late, late twenties. It does get better. It's not going to be as big as you think it is. It feels like divorce takes forever to go through, but it'll be over before you know it. I promise. Hey, what's going on, Dan? I'm calling in response to episode 612 and the woman who called in whose boyfriend won't lick her pussy unless she's straight out of the shower and your subsequent position that that is bullshit, assuming she has sort of standard hygiene. That stance doesn't really make any sense given the constant themes of sort of freedom of choice and sexual autonomy that kind of permeate this show. Whatever the context is, basically the message always comes back to being that no one should have to do what they don't want to do if they don't want to do it. If you're a gay guy, don't want to be a bottom, you don't have to be. If you want to be a top, you don't have to be. If you're a straight woman, doesn't want to have sex with a transgender woman with a penis, you don't have to do that. So I don't really understand how this would be any different. And this guy definitely should have the choice to only lick box when it's straight out of the shower. Uh, this is this is not a gendered argument. And if she wanted to draw the same hard line, of course, that would be her option as well. And even in this context, he has the freedom of choice to do that. And she then has the freedom of choice to dump that fresh-only pussy-eating motherfucker already. Hey, Dan. Calling in response to episode 612, the woman who wanted to know whether she should talk about talk to the kid who she babysat when he was four. Thank you for your advice. Uh, when I was 27, I started working at a place where my dad worked and the number of people who had known him for years and years and who therefore knew me when I was a child and brought that up was fucking annoying. Thank you. Leave the kid alone. Let him be a grown-up. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206 206- 302-2064. The deadline for entering Hump, my dirty little porn film festival, is coming up. Go to humpfilmfest.com and click on submit to find out how you can be a porn star safely in a movie theater without having to be a porn star forever on the internet. Also, a big congrats to Kevin Allison and everyone at the Risk Podcast. Their brand new book is out. It is a collection of Risk stories, including one by me. It is a beautiful and funny and hilarious and moving collection of real-life stories that people thought they'd never dare to share. Go to risk-show.com to order yourself a copy or get them wherever good, funny, hilarious, moving books are sold. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Tracy Cataldo on Twitter at TraCataldo. Follow Katie Herzog on Twitter at Kitty 
Herzog. And a big thank you for my husband, Terry, for coming in today and doing some ads with me. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian, to whom I am eternally grateful. And me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy, we will all be back at you next week for another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for having me.